The older that I get, the more I realize that sometimes my life does not actually reflect what I claim to believe. And here's an example. In the book of Genesis, chapter 1, verse 27, we read these words. God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. Now, I believe those words are true. As a church, we affirm the truth of that statement. But you know what? Sometimes we take that truth and we turn it upside down because we act as if God is made in our image. And we do that when we keep trying to bring God down to our level. We do that when we refuse to accept the fact that God sometimes does things that do not make sense to us, and we press to explain things that simply aren't explainable. Sometimes we just need to stand back and gasp with awe at who God is and what he does. Because he is God and we are not. We are made in his image. He is not made in ours. And therefore, not everything is understandable. And when we realize this, it's no surprise that majestic and and mysterious and miraculous acts of God crop up regularly in the Bible. And as we read about them, often they're described but not explained because an explanation would be beyond our comprehension. We see this aspect of God fully on display throughout the story of the very first Christmas. Different people experience God in unexpected ways at unexpected times, and the things God does don't always make sense. Not to them. That's what happens to a young girl named Mary who lives in the village of Nazareth in the first century. She's engaged in preparing for marriage. She has plans and expectations about the path of life that's ahead of her. And then God steps in when she least expects it and informs her of his plans. Plans that make no human sense. Well, she could try to bring God down to her level and press for detailed explanations, or she simply can accept the fact that he is God and she is not. And Mary's response will reveal not what she proclaims, but what she actually believes. So let's listen to this story recorded for us in the book of Luke chapter 1, verses 26 to 38. And as we listen, let's watch the story unfold on the screen. The monk, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Lord Most High. 
The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be barren is in her sixth month, for nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. Thank you. Mary obviously is a very significant person in the history of our faith, and yet we actually know very little about her, and what we do know is rather unimpressive. She lives in Nazareth, which is a lower-class community with a bad reputation throughout Israel. And before this encounter with a heavenly messenger, she's not known for any significant accomplishments. The Bible doesn't give us her age. But based on what we know about first century Israel, most girls become engaged around age 13. 13. Most of them get married between 13 and 16. And if you reached age 20, you were getting old for marriage. So Mary probably is a teenager. Since she's grown up in a poor community, she probably is from a poor family. On the plus side, she's a spiritually faithful young woman, and she's engaged to a godly man named Joseph. In this way, though, she's like hundreds of other girls. Outwardly, there's nothing special about her. So why her? Well, as this story begins, we can assume that Mary probably is excited about her engagement and her upcoming wedding. And she she very much likely would be focused on her plans and on her goals and the details of her life. And as a woman of faith, she knows that God is with her, but I doubt that she expects God to intrude in her life in an unusual way. Yet that's exactly what God does by sending an angel to disrupt all of her plans. As we see here in verses 28 to 31, this angel Gabriel shows up and he makes an incredible announcement. Mary is going to have a child, but not just any child. She's going to have a son that she is supposed to name Jesus, a name that means salvation. Gabriel goes on to say that this Jesus will be called the Son of the Most High and he will rule over a kingdom that never will end. Every faithful Jew would understand this as a description of the Messiah. Now, Mary hasn't even celebrated her wedding yet, and she's never been physically intimate with a man, so any pregnancy would be a huge surprise. The news of this unusual son, though, would be shocking. As Mary hears Gabriel's words, she knows that God has shown up in an unexpected way at an unexpected time, with an unexpected plan for her life. She will become the mother of the long-awaited Messiah. How else could Mary respond but with wonder? Wondering, why have I found favor with God? 
after all, who is she? What has she done? And I find myself asking the same question. Why did God show his favor to this young, unknown woman? And guess what? We really don't know the answer to that question because God doesn't tell us specifically. However, I have a few ideas. I think God chose Mary precisely because she was young and innocent and not yet old enough to be soiled by the world. I think God chose her to show that he's much more interested in a person's heart and their faith and their credentials or their popularity or their life experience. And I think we get an insight into Mary's spirituality by the way that she reacts to this angel Gabriel. In the Bible, when people encounter an angel, they most often react with holy fear. And they shake, and they tremble, and they fall to the ground. We saw a fearful reaction a couple of weeks ago when when the priest Zechariah encountered the same angel Gabriel in the temple. And the Bible tells us that the priest, this spiritually mature man, he was gripped with fear. Not Mary, though. She seems more troubled by the angel's words than by the angel's arrival. Now, she obviously hasn't planned for a moment like this. After all, who could, who could plan for this? But perhaps her faith has prepared her for this. Perhaps her faith has prepared her to respond appropriately to the unplanned interruptions of the God who made her in his image. I think we get a glimpse of a depth of faith in Mary that is very special. And yet even if she's prepared to accept this encounter with God's messenger, nothing could prepare her for the message. This message of Mary giving birth to the Messiah This message of an impending pregnancy that biologically makes no sense at all because she's still a virgin. So she wonders. And she expresses that wonder to Gabriel in verse 34. How will this be since I am a virgin? It is a legitimate question because our God is a God of order. He is the one who created the natural process that results in pregnancy and birth. Mary hasn't started that process yet. So God's plan doesn't make any sense. I think anyone in her position would ask the same question. Yet we need to see that this is not a question of disbelief. Because disbelief is when we doubt that God can do or will do what he says. Mary doesn't doubt. She just wonders. I don't think she's asking this question. Well, doesn't my virginity somehow limit God? Nor, I don't think, is she asking this question. Is this really true? And will God really do it? I think she's simply wondering, because I'm a virgin, how will God make this happen? It's a logical and sincere question. By the way, when we lack understanding in our own 
connection with God. I think it's okay for us to ask questions as well. There's nothing wrong with questioning God sincerely. Now, we might, might not have an angel to talk with like Mary does, but I do believe that God will answer many of our questions when we look and listen for his answers. However, there's a caveat. Because as we're going to see next with Mary, God often does answer our questions, but often the answer we get is not the one that we want. It may not be one that actually clears things up very much. Look what happens in verse 35. The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Well, that really clears things up. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is, young, is, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. Think about that answer. Somehow, some way, the Holy Spirit is going to come upon her and make her pregnant. It's really a vague answer. And so, from one perspective, it's not much of an answer. Yet, from another perspective, it's a phenomenal answer. Because it reveals that Mary's pregnancy will be a majestic, mysterious, miraculous act of God. And for that precise reason, it is unexplainable in human terms. Gabriel's answer tells Mary and tells us that we do not have to know everything about God's purposes and plans. We don't have to be able to explain everything about God or understand everything about God. He's God, and therefore some things by definition must be beyond our knowledge and experience and understanding. And sometimes we just need to sit back and say, Oh my, and stand in awe of who God is and what he does even when it makes no sense at all to us even when we can't connect the dots and add it all up Gabriel's answer reminds us that we are made in his image he is God and we are not so rather than try to explain the unexplainable Gabriel reminds Mary that her cousin Elizabeth is six months along in her own pregnancy which is another miraculous event that Gabriel himself announced in advance I think there's a profound insight here sometimes when we're craving understanding understanding that God can't give us because it's beyond us I think what we really need is just a reminder of God's faithfulness. That's where Gabriel points Mary. He reminds her that nothing is impossible with God because his promises never fail, and Elizabeth is a living example of that. Don't worry about the details. Don't try to understand things you can't understand. Just look at what I do. God is faithful. Now, despite this reassurance, if we put ourselves in Mary's place, we've got to believe that she still has a ton of unanswered questions. <laughs> and yet she's willing to accept what Gabriel tells her. 
I, I think her answer to Gabriel in verse 38 is profound because she doesn't say, oh, I'll do it because now you've helped me understand it. She basically says, I'm going to accept what you say is true. What faith. What humility. She is willing to embrace God's plans for her, which clearly overrule her own plans. And this humble, faithful, willing response, I think that shows us why God chose Mary to be the mother of his son. That's interesting. I, I periodically encounter people who, who claim that Mary made all this up. Yet if we think for just a few minutes, we have to conclude that no one would make this up because her story will open her up to ridicule and skepticism She lives in a small village, and when it becomes clear that she's pregnant, everyone's going to think she's been unfaithful to Joseph. Do you think her her, her friends and neighbors will readily accept the story of a divine conception? And how about her family? I try to imagine the conversation between Mary and her parents. Mom, Dad, I'm pregnant, and the Holy Spirit did it. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) I think most parents would have a hard time believing such a story from their teenage daughter. And then to claim that your child is the Messiah, life would be a whole lot easier for Mary if she walked a different path. Mary didn't make this up. She had an unplanned experience with God, and then she willingly accepted his purpose for her. So her response to Gabriel is a marvelous example to us of what it means to live by faith. She is filled with wonder. She's not been given detailed answers. She probably can begin to foresee that she might face some adverse consequences, yet she trusts. She trusts the God who made her in his image. She trusts that the God who showed up in her life in an unexpected way at an unexpected time with such unexpected news will sustain her through all that lies ahead. Mary is willing to trust that what God says is true and that his word and his promises never will fail. Can we do the same? If God shows up in our lives in an unexpected way, my friend Roger had to deal with that in his own life. A number of years ago, Roger was the pastor of a small rural church in Northern California. And one Wednesday night at the church, about 30 people had gathered for their monthly potluck supper. It was a very pleasant and very routine event. It was a time for the church family to enjoy good food and good company. If you're like me, potluck suppers are a great time to do what I call grazing. You just go down the table and get to sample all the stuff that people have brought. The church members looked forward to this evening, and they would talk about work and family and community life. It was an entirely predictable evening because nothing odd or unusual ever happened at a church potluck until this particular night. 
A few minutes after they started eating, a stranger walked in, and he, he looked a bit rough. His clothes were kind of disheveled. He obviously hadn't shaved in, in several days, and he didn't say anything as he walked in the door, nor did he make eye contact or look at anyone. He just walked straight across the room to the piano as if he knew it was there. And he sat down, and with his back to the people, he began to play beautiful hymns and Christian music. He clearly was a gifted musician. The people assumed that he was homeless and that he would probably play for a few minutes, and when he stopped, they could share some food with him. So they just sat back and continued eating, but now able to enjoy this glorious music. Then all of a sudden, the stranger stopped playing, and he turned around, and he looked at those people with this penetrating stare, and he said, why does God call the people that he calls? turned around and started playing the piano again. Well, the people sat there in an uncomfortable silence, listening to the music and pondering the stranger's very strange words. And after a few minutes, he stopped playing again. And once more, he turned around to face the people. And this time he said, why did God call Moses to lead the Israelites? And why did God call Solomon to build the temple? And why did God call Mary to be the mother of Jesus? And then he turned around and started to play again. Well, by this time, everyone had stopped eating. (laughs) No one was talking. They all just sat there listening and wondering, what is going on here? The stranger played for a few more minutes. And then he stopped, and he stood up from the piano bench. And he silently looked at these people, made eye contact with each one, and with his finger out like this, He said, why did God call you to be his children? And then he turned and walked out of the room, and they never, ever saw him again. There was a lengthy silence. Then a buzz of conversation broke out. And as we might imagine now, the tone and the content of their dinner table conversation had completely changed. Who was this guy? Could God have sent this stranger to us? And if so, why us? We're just a small and insignificant rural church. And what about those questions he asked? Why did God call us to be his children? He clearly had a purpose for Moses and for Solomon and for Mary. What's his purpose for us? My friend Roger is absolutely convinced that that stranger was an angel messenger of God. He can't fully explain it. He can't explain why God would send an angel to their church on that night. What he does know is this. His congregation listened to the stranger's questions, and they prayerfully wrestled with their answers. And as a result, that little church was transformed. They began to think in fresh ways about their life together and their purpose. They became more outwardly focused and they started to reach out to friends and neighbors and coworkers who were far from God. Over the next few years, they helped many spiritually adrift people find their way to Jesus. And they had the privilege of baptizing those people into God's family. God's children in that little church got excited about helping other people also become God's children. And it happened 
because they had an experience with God at a time when they least expected it. They were just engaged in a routine activity. What could be more normal than a church potluck supper? And yet in that moment, God stepped into their lives in a dramatic way that caught their attention. It was a marvelous, mysterious, miraculous act of God that they could not fully explain. What they could do is choose to listen. They could choose how to respond. So Roger and the people of that congregation embraced the message of that stranger, that angel. And they were changed. And they changed the lives of others. And it occurs to me that in their own way, they did the same thing that Mary did. Listen, trust, respond. None of us can plan for moments like this. But perhaps like Mary, we can be prepared. We can be prepared to trust the God who made us in his image. And we can trust that he knows us better than we know ourselves. And we can trust that his plans and purposes for us are best, even when we don't fully understand them, even when they make no sense. Even when all we can do is say, God, you're amazing. What a great time to trust. I believe that from time to time, God will show up unexpectedly in the lives of his children. I don't think the question is if that happens. I think the question is when that happens. So here's where I think this story of Mary leaves us. When God shows up unexpectedly in your life, when he shows up unexpectedly in my life, when he shows up unexpectedly in the life of our church, perhaps with a message that is wild and weird and way outside our knowledge and comfort zone. In that moment, how will we respond? What we need to do in that moment is look to Mary because she points the way.